0: Well, if you've got those Bibles, let's open them up to Acts chapter 18. Make it easy on you. Verse 18, Acts 18, 18. We're going through chapter 19, verse 10 today. Uh, Paul is in transit. He's going to be finishing his second missionary journey and starting his third missionary journey today, Acts eighteen eighteen. 18. Uh, so Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. So uh, Paul takes this vow, some say because of the Lord's faithfulness and good travel mercies, and uh, you might remember that this year, if you have to make a trip over the past just to thank the Lord for a good trip, just shave it all off you know as a great vow to the Lord, and you know probably more of a Nazarite vow where they would they would cut it off, shave it off, <coughs> and then give it thirty days of growth, and then shave it off again and offer that next uh, little growth up to the Lord in a little flaming barbecue um, but uh You know, I'm not, Bible also says, do not test the Lord your God. So, you know, if you want regrowth, then just be careful on how you do that. So Paul's going to take another vow like that later on in the book of Acts. And here, as he's wrapping up this missionary journey, it's believed that he's just thanking the Lord for such a powerful and awesome missionary journey. In verse 19 through 21, and he came to Ephesus and left them there that he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So it's the beginning of our relationship with this city called Ephesus. We're going to see it later on today in Paul's third missionary journey. He'll make it to Ephesus. It's uh, the book of Ephesians written for, um, to, the, to the Ephesus church as well as one of the seven letters in Revelation written to the Ephesians. <clears throat> and so, introduced to this uh, church in Ephesus, and uh, man, Paul preaches in the synagogues, and the Jews want to hear him. Like, it's something totally different than he'd ever experienced. Like, whoa, they want him to stick around. This is new ground. Unfortunately, he's kind of in a rush, and he's he's got to get back to Jerusalem. His heart wants to get back. Uh, To Jerusalem for some of these big feasts that he doesn't want to miss, but he says I'll come back, and he tags this great phrase at the end of what he says. It's this phrase, "God willing." You know, we would be we would be good to learn from Paul in this when we're making all of our plans and we're planning on going here or there. Um, I'm always so convicted when I'm with some of these mature friends of mine in the Lord. Chris is a great example when he speaks towards what would be happening in the future. He throws that good God willing at the end of it. Right. And, um, and so I remember, man, I'd get so bummed out when my plans failed, you know, and what I had planned didn't come to pass. And I'd be so aggravated I'd make my, make life miserable for people around me when for one reason or another, I couldn't do what was in my heart to have done. And I think it's because I hadn't tagged that lord willing on the end of it you know and so as you're making your winter plans your christmas plans and all these things and especially in christmas time you know we get so we got our tradition we got these things that we do and if we don't do them this way and if it doesn't look like this then we're going to be so bummed out and we're just going to be in a bad mood and we're going to be peeved off and everyone's going to be miserable to be around us and it's just good to say hey you know what here's what we'd love to do in celebrating christmas or celebrating the lord's birth And uh, you know what, it's all the Lord's will and whatever he might have planned for us this winter as we move forward. James speaks to this in James 4.13, when he says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow uh, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there. We will buy and we will sell and we will make a profit. He says, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, What's your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and that. And so good little life motto here for us as we move forward in discipleship and growing is, hey, Lord willing, we'll go here or there. And so when he landed at Caesarea, he'd gone up and greeted the church and he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Persia in order strengthening all of the disciples and so if we have the map there on the screen uh, you'll see Caesarea at the end of the second missionary journey just about two weeks ago uh, people from our church were in Caesarea we were here at this port where Paul came in and, and finished out his second missionary journey so so fun to go through the Bible and be like these are Bible places real places that we can go even today And it's so interesting that just there's this flop right into the third missionary journey. If you followed us in the book of Acts, you know that between the first and second missionary journey, there was a big courtroom drama in a sense where they were standing up for the gospel of grace and that you don't need to be circumcised to be a Christian and standing up for freedom in the spirit and freedom in the gospel of liberty (coughs) and and then. Right after that, there was this drama between Paul and Barnabas because, you know, this you know, drama with John Mark and you know the spiel. And there was a lot going on between that first and second missionary journey. Now, between the second and third missionary journey, it's like a well-oiled machine and it's like, oh, hop back home, head back out again, you know. And basically, we're covering about 1,500 miles of missionary travel here uh, in just this little bit of verses here. So, uh, we see that he goes in the third missionary journey we 'll go ahead and pop that up and we have it there. You see that he uh, was up there in the region of Cilicia and he headed into uh, Galatia, strengthening the churches from the first missionary journey and then today we find ourselves in that pink area of Asia up against the sea near that city or in that city of Ephesus is we 're in verse twenty four Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. And so we're introduced to a new character today in the New Testament, this guy named Apollos. He's a real interesting character study. First of all, he was an Alexandrian or an Egyptian Jew. Uh, This guy from Alexandria, which was one of the greatest cultural and educational centers of the ancient world, Had one of the largest Jewish communities outside of Israel. Alexandria boasted one of the largest libraries in the then known world with 700,000 volumes. You see this Jew, Apollos, must have come from a family heavily influenced by Greek culture because his name isn't Abraham, you know, his name isn't Reuben. What's his name? Apollos, which is what? A Greek god, right? So his family had named him after this Greek god. But we see that he was an eloquent man or a learned man. Most Alexandrians were well-educated. This speaks of him being skilled in speech. He was a gifted orator. He was an effective communicator. Apollos knew how to capture the attention of an audience and use the words. He was good with words and and uh, man, it's so great to listen to gifted orators. It's interesting, you know. Uh, Chris, uh, our associate pastor, he's homesick today. He's just such a well-spoken guy. Just good education. He's got you know a degree in history and he's got a master's in biblical studies. You know, and and it's just fun to listen to him talk because he's smart. You know, and uh, we've been visiting this gal who. Um, she's been a, a shut-in or homebound. Margaret, um, such a wonderful woman that lives in Redmond and listens to our services and and just, you know, can never be around people. She has such health issues that to visit her you have to go through quite a, a sterilizing process and go on in there to see her and went and visited her and she just prays and she has like a Corrie Ten Boom ministry of just praying from her bed and just loving our church. She knows everything that goes on in this church and writes crisscrossing i messages and just loving on us and is a generous giver and and uh when we reply to her chris's emails back are just so fluent and poetic and just so great and mine are just like you are such a nice lady thank you for sending us such great things (laughs) you know and uh and then i'll read the reply that chris said and i'm like oh i'm so stupid you know such an apollos you know and and, you know, it's funny because Paul and Apollos, like Paul will talk to the Corinthians and be like, man, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with wisdoms of words. And I just came in demonstration of the spirit and power. He's all I got. Even though Paul was educated, he just, it wasn't gifted oratory. wasn't like necessarily his thing. Apollos was just known to be uh, so well-spoken that there would be factions that would break out. Oh, I'm of Apollos. Oh, I'm of Paul. But later on, Paul would say, that's just carnality. That just shows spiritual immaturity. And Paul and, and uh, Apollos never had that with each other where they thought, oh, pick a side, you know, pick a team, you know? Um, and, and so Apollos was very eloquent. He was fun to listen to. <coughs> he was mighty in scriptures. So he was eloquent and learned through the knowledge of the scriptures. He didn't rely on his talent or his charismata, but he had a good handle on the word. He was an example to follow. Matthew Henry said of him that he understood the sense and the meaning of the scriptures. He knew how to make use of them and how to apply them, how to reason out of the scriptures and how to reason strongly. This Alexandrian dude was well instructed in the way of the Lord. It seems that he was a believer, that scriptures were properly applied. In the Old Testament, that phrase, the way of the Lord, was used to describe spiritual and moral um, standards that God required his people to obey. Luther was the first to suggest that it was Apollos that, uh, wrote the book of Hebrews. And so we don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews was. Maybe it was Paul. There are certain things in it that seem like Paul. Some believe it was Apollos and, um, and we don't know, but we do know that he was well instructed in the way of the Lord. Here's a great study on a character about him. He was fervent in the spirit. I love that description of Apollos. Fervent in the spirit. Or maybe your Bible says it. He was aglow in the spirit. glow in the spirit. Or maybe 90s vernacular was, he was on fire, man. Right? He was on fire. He was ablaze for the Lord. This word fervent literally speaks of for liquids to boil or for solids to be made so hot that they glow and become liquid. As a former welder, I always love this word fervent because I think of when that arc would strike against that metal and cause just some cold steel to become boiling hot, you know, and to melt and to be moldable. And when we're fervent in the spirit, it means, man, we're hot for the Lord. We're a blaze for him. We're a glow In the spirit, one man said of Apollos that he matched learning with enthusiasm, and uh, and so what a great guy to follow an example to be fervent in spirit. In Romans chapter twelve verse eleven, I just I didn't have it in the on the screen, but let me just read it to you. Verse nine of Romans twelve says, "Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good." And then Romans twelve says in verse eleven. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. And you know, uh, as we love one another without hypocrisy, as we're not lagging in diligence, we're not lazy, we're working hard in diligently serving the Lord and serving one another, we ought to do it fervently in the spirit. And that's kind of a theme of today's message as we look at some characters from Ephesus that they are, they will end up becoming characters who are just aglow, living all out for the Lord, using boldness in their evangelism, boldness of the Holy Spirit, using the spiritual gifts in their living with one another, fervent in the spirit. I want to encourage you today to let the Lord do a work in your life where you will match your learning with your enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic about learning about Jesus and living for Jesus. It could be a boring walk, let me tell you. The Lord doesn't want it to be boring for you. All right, there's a lot of life and he wants you to have every bit as much fervor as Apollos did here in Acts chapter 18. Something else about him, this is six in my character study. He taught accurately the ways of the Lord. means the scriptures were properly taught. He was a Christian teacher. Now, one maybe tick against him was that he knew only the baptism of John. And so there's this contrast or there's this maybe negative thing. Uh, it says, though only he knew, he only knew the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John is a great baptism. It's just a bummer when it's the only baptism, you know, okay? The baptism of John was a water baptism. John and Jesus both speak of it as a baptism of repentance It's a wonderful baptism, but it's not the only baptism. Now the, uh, in Apollos's case, perhaps his understanding of the gospel was limited to the message of repentance by John the Baptist. And maybe those most basic elements of Christ's earthly ministry. He probably knew of Jesus. It seems that he was a believer probably knew of the death of Jesus the resurrection of Jesus, but maybe he was just kind of stuck in a rut of only knowing the elementary principles of the faith. Now, If Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews, you'll recognize that phrase in Hebrews 6, 1, where he says, brothers, let's move on now from the discussion of the simple elementary principles of the faith. Let's move on to some deep, good old meat talking. Let's talk some doctrine. Let's talk some deep theology. Let's get after it and not just be babies the rest of our life in the things of the Lord. And Apollo seemed to have been in that place here where um, there's something about him that Aquila and Priscilla are gonna hear him talking in the synagogue. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So a bold guy speaking in the synagogue, great stuff about him, right? Just so many good things about him. But as he's talking to Quill and Priscilla are there and they're like, man, we see like a little gap in his understanding. We don't really know what it was, except that they kind of followed up with him after service and said, hey, can we get together with you and help explain the way of the Lord to you more accurately? Now they had had Paul do that to them. Uh, They were believers. They were from Rome. Paul spent time with them, and now they were effective in now discipling Apollos. And so, in great, there's so much humility right here because uh, you have them humbly going, not publicly rebuking, standing up in front of the synagogue like you know nothing, you know. Um, But they're like, hey, a little private meeting, some private time, and some private discipleship. And he was humble enough and not so full of his own ego that you know, don't you know who I am? I'm. Apollos. I'm named after the Greek God. I'm, you know, Acts chapter 18, read it. I'm well-learned and eloquent, you know? No, he, he's like, hey, you know what? Let the ego go aside. Like, I'm willing to learn and unlearn, teach me. And so they taught him uh, more accurately the things of the Lord. He was a teachable man. My pastor always said, when you're looking for leaders in the church, look for fat leaders, faithful, available and teachable. Some say reliable, but that spells a different word. Um, so I just stick with fat, um, fatter look for fatter. Okay. Um, but, uh, William McDonald says it's to the credit to this eloquent preacher that he was willing to be taught by a tent maker and his wife. And so when he, Apollos, desired to cross to Achaia, that's the region of Corinth, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so something happened in Apollos there. After his training by Aquila and Priscilla, he went to the region of Corinth now and he's just like he was on fire before, right? He was ablaze, a glow, um, on fire. And now it's like there's just been a thrust in him even more so. Like, I don't know what the difference is between like being a ablaze and like I don't know, that now there's like there's all kinds of um turbo going on in this guy, right? But now he's vigorously passionate about standing up for Jesus and You know, he's preaching in the synagogues, and the Jews might open up their mouth like, Well, we don't think that Jesus is God. And he's like, You know, and he's like, Uh uh. And he just vigorously, powerfully starts preaching it that Jesus is the Christ, and I will show you chapter and verse to prove it, right? So there's this great character study in Apollos, and I think it's good application to say, Lord, make me an Apollos, make me someone who's well-learned and who studies, who isn't okay with just, you know, man, a lot of us, you know, we kind of grow up in rural areas. And so we're like, oh, I don't like to read. I don't read. I, you know, I don't study. I just, I like engines and tinkering. Yeah, right. You know, engines, then you know how to look in a book and study some stuff that bookworms don't know how to do. Okay. It's like the Lord wants you to be able to comprehend him. He wants to make you a reader. He wants to make you a listener. He wants to make you a learner. And that's one of the first things he does after he rises from the dead is he goes to the disciples. You read about it in Luke 24 and he opens up their mind that they can comprehend the scriptures. Okay. Now you're looking at a guy that like If it was between reading and riding a dirt bike, the dirt bike, right? If it was between reading or playing a video game, the video game, the movie, like other stuff beside reading, right? And I'm telling you, like, I remember John Wang, my school of ministry teacher, one time telling me, like, if you want to be useful to the Lord, you better learn how to read, okay? And all it did was it's like, okay, like, I'm just going to start stepping out in faith, and I'm going to start reading things about the Lord. And the Lord does this work where he opens up your mind. It's a work of the spirit, you guys. And he makes us Apolloses. Apollolinas, if you're a lady here and you're like, I want, one. I want my own name. You know, okay. Apollolina, okay. And uh, Apollina, okay, we'll f- move on. Okay, so, uh, but especially fervency, the Lord desires you to be fervent. Enthusiasm matching your study and he wants you to now be uh, just vehement in your passion about sharing uh, the Lord. Now, chapter 19 goes on in character studies in Ephesus. And I have a whole lot to talk about Ephesus and the culture. We're going to save our cultural study till until we, next week when we move on in some neat revival in Ephesus. I want to look at some of this character study, though, of what we saw in Apollos, who Looked like he had it all, but he was lacking something and he was humble enough to hear it and receive the addition and to move on higher up and further in than he'd ever been before. And we're going to see that in about 12 more people in a group setting as we move on in the book of Acts chapter 19 verses one through 10. (coughs) So it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" So they said to him, "We've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit." He said to them, "Into what then were you baptized?" So they said, "Into John's baptism." Then Paul said, "John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him—that is, on Christ Jesus." When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And so third missionary journey of Paul, he drops down into Ephesus. And as he's there, he meets some new friends, some people that are called disciples, disciples, that that speaks of pupils and learners. And as we move into this study, I want you to kind of step back and realize that there's maybe two understandings of, of who these people are. Uh, they're called disciples, but there's one camp of theologians that don't consider them Christians, okay? Um, that that word disciple, it could be more broad and not be referring to a follower of Jesus. One of my favorite preachers uh, holds to this view, Alistair Begg, and he calls this group um, Almost Christians, okay? Almost Christians. Like, man, you look at these people, and they're the people that are like, man, they're at the services. They maybe even raise their hands at the crusade, or they've been coming to youth group, and they kind of have the look, and they kind of have the strut of a Christian. You know, it. you guys know it, right? Yeah, you know, and just, they... You know, and you kind of stutter when you talk about him because you're like, "Um, uh, I guess they're Christians or they're almost Christians. Okay. Uh, over in this camp would be like John Stott, one of my favorite commentaries in almost anything. Like he's one of the best. And he says, disciples, at least that's what they claim to be in reality. However, they were disciples of John the Baptist and were decidedly less well-informed than even Apollos had been. Okay. Um, and so you kind of have um, a camp that would say these guys um, aren't yet Christians. They're almost Christians or they have a like a facade or an appearance of being Christians. Typically, that camp would be more like in the reform movement. <laughs> and those who would maybe be more uh, cessationist in nature or maybe even th- just saying that there's not a subsequent work of the holy spirit in a christian's life after salvation so that's kind of that camp great learners um and uh guys that i respect guys that i'd love to serve under and all of that maybe the other camp would be those who would say these guys are christians okay um these guys there there are things in the text that make it seem like that they were born again um people okay uh, so FF F. Bruce would be a guy that would say that, uh, pretty much it's kind of the, the Calvary chapel understanding that these guys are Christians, but FF F. Bruce, a great historian, I uh, got a quote. I'll read it in one second here. Um, it's, it, you know, sometimes studying the Bible, it's so fun, right? Because you got like John Stott and FF F. Bruce, right? And a couple, two big books that I'm reading concerning acts and, uh, Bruce came before Stott. So Stott uses Bruce in his writings, but disagrees with him on this, but also quotes him in this as having good stuff to say about it, you know? And so then you're like, okay, so um, it, it can be hard sometimes because then you're like, okay, so Bruce looks at this and he says, when the men are called disciples without further qualification, that seems to mean that they were disciples of Jesus. Had Luke meant to indicate that they were disciples of John the Baptist, he would have said so explicitly. And so in your Bible study, there's an old saying that if the first sense makes the best sense, seek no other sense, lest you come up with nonsense, okay? So for me, when I read this, Right away, I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, man, like, disciples, Paul's looking at them, he's, he's seeing them, and he's seeing that there's Christ, they are Christians, but there's something missing, something's missing in their life, okay? Um, and so, I just humbly say this to say, like, I honestly, I, I go both ways, like, sometimes when I'm teaching it, even, I'm like, oh, gosh, what were, what were these guys' problems, you know? And I think that there's a good application from it all if you'll just bear with me a little bit, Okay? Terry, you with me? Yeah, okay, okay, I thought so. Um, Terry's taking notes. He's like, I'm gonna write some major emails this afternoon to this dork pastor, okay? Actually, I'm gonna send them to Chris because he's more eloquent and he'll respond better. <laughs> hey, I learned good, okay? Uh, 23 times in the book of Acts, the use, the word disciple is used. Every time it's used, it's used to speak of Christians. It's never used in Acts except to speak of followers of Jesus, unless this is that one isolated case. It's my humble opinion that Luke is talking about Christians here. They were disciples who were Christians, but in a very infantile state. Now, Paul seems to understand that they have believed that they have a saving faith. Look in verse two, did you receive the spirit when you believe now, how they acquired their knowledge of Jesus can only be guessed. This is the second missionary journey, but it's their third missionary journey, but it's his first time really into Ephesus. It must have been from a source independent of the main Jerusalem stream, which Luke has traced throughout the book of Acts so far. But when they had heard of Jesus, they had believed in Jesus. The King James version says have you received the Holy spirit since you believed? So they had believed there's been a period since they've believed. And in that period, had they received the Holy spirit? The young's literal translation says the Holy spirit, did ye receive having believed? So it seems that they believe that they're, born again, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Now, Paul's question uh, implies something here, but I think that the question could be asked to you today. Since you've believed in Jesus, have you received the Holy Spirit? Now, it gets a little hairy, but if you've come to Calvary long, you'll know it's taught regularly as we've gone through John, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we teach it regularly that the Holy Spirit has kind of three positions in a person's life. The first one is that he's with you. Now this happens even before you become a Christian. The Bible says that he is with you when he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, okay? The second relationship that he has with you is when he comes in you. The day you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes into your life He removes a heart of stone that cannot know God. And he puts in a new heart of flesh that beats and can know God. The book of Ephesians tells us that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we know that when someone's born again, they receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you were to use a liquid analogy that's often used when talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, if you had an empty glass With a pitcher of water, the Holy Spirit is with you, alongside of you, convicting you of your sin. And that there's a righteous judge that you will stand before one day and that you need his plan of salvation. And when you believe upon his plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, it's as if the Holy Spirit were poured in you and you're filled up to the tippy top with the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever studied in science there's that great seal on top of the water called the meniscus, right? Kind of forms like a little barrier on top and a little bit of hydro suction or whatever. You can kind of wiggle at the top of a full glass and you're like, look, mom, it doesn't spill. And then it spills everywhere. But for a minute there, right, it was kind of holding together. Um, and, so, uh, and so that is a picture of salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word N E N speaks of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He will be with you and he will be in you and he seals you for salvation. And then there's a third work of the Holy Spirit and relationship of the Holy Spirit called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's the word epi in the Greek. You read of it a lot of times in the book of Acts and we'll see it even in this passage with these Ephesian disciples, okay? Epi is the word, uh, it means upon. We see it first in, uh, Acts chapter one, verse eight, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses and you'll testify me locally, regionally, and globally. And as Jesus is telling that Jesus talks about John the Baptist and how John truly did baptize with water unto repentance. But John also told, it in every one of the Gospels and the book of Acts, John the Baptist says that there is one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to unloose, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? And with fire, he will pour out power upon you. Now, there's something that's happening in these guys in Ephesus' life that when Paul looks at them, okay, He's like, these guys are believers. They've believed, but there's something about them that maybe is not powerful. They're lacking something. They're lacking zest. They're lacking heat. They're lacking life. They're lacking boldness. They're lacking gifts. There's something about it that when I look at you, all 12 of you, man have you have you received I believe he's speaking of the baptism with the Holy Spirit have you believed the or sorry have you received the epi since you believed and it's a question that's even good for you here today. I believe that the Bible states it and experience confirms that there are many people who and feel free to blend this with how you're understanding this right now. Because I want to be humble and understand, you know, there are many people who look the part of a Christian, maybe have been going to church most of their life, and they just struggle with it being mundane and dry, and stale, and boring, and no position, I don't have any role here, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I'm not hungry for this book, I don't really love the people around me, I don't know how to serve them or love them, I don't know how to, like, do I just come warm a pew on a Sunday, is that what, you know, there's an old Chris Tomlin song that says, there must be more than this, right? Right? And I believe that experience confirms what the Bible shows that there are, whether you want to, you can go so far and say that these people are just almost Christians and they're not even born again yet. Or you can say they they believed upon the Lord Jesus for salvation, but there is a dryness in this person. And I think if sometimes you allowed good Christian friends in your life to speak into your life, they might tell you this. And they might ask you, hey, have you ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And you might reply the same way that these disciples did and say, I've never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And I think that that's the temperature, the climate of a lot of the church in this day and age. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Guess what? Whenever Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about something in the New Testament, it's exactly the stuff that the church is ignorant of. Hey, concerning the end times, I don't want you to be ignorant. Guess what? Nobody knows anything about the end times in the church these days. Now concerning Israel, my friends, I don't want you to be ignorant. Guess what? Folks don't know anything about God's dealings with Israel and what he's doing in Israel even today. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how to properly use them in order within the church under the seatbelt of the book of the Bible, I don't want you to be ignorant. And guess what? Totally what the church is ignorant of these days. And so I think the church is in the same places where these homeboys are, where they just say, I never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Do you know about the Holy Spirit? I trust that if you've been going to Calvary for very long, Gospel of John that we've been going through, Book of Acts that we've been going through, we speak of the Holy Spirit so much. But I would ask the same question that Paul asked. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit since you believed? I believe that every Christian receives the Holy Spirit when they're born again, okay? So it's not that you don't have the Holy Spirit, but it's this extra measure of the Holy Spirit that the new Testament speaks of that is for the purpose of being bold and courageous and telling people about Jesus and not just sitting there and letting all your friends go to hell around you, but realizing that you have been put right where you're put in your life so that these people can come to know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not go to hell. All right. Do you have any care about that? All right. Do you know the gifts that God's giving you spiritual gifts so that you can edify the church and be a part of the body of Christ. Do you know what your gifts are? Okay. And you might say, I don't really care about evangelizing to people. I don't know what my gifts are. I'm not serving in this local body. I feel like a, like a bit of a straggler or a wanderer or a vagabond. And I'm here and I don't know where to serve. I don't know what to do. And it's like, guys, like, I believe the Lord wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and he wants to give you passion and fervor. He makes you want, makes, wants to make you like an Apollos, who's a glow in the Spirit, who has a, a zeal and a passion that matches the study of the gospel. You know, uh, I always do some sort of icebreaker for the high school group. And I uh, just try to get kids, you know, high schoolers can be awkward, you know, when they come together for youth group and they're like, you know, or whatever, just no offense, Eli, but I'm talking about you, but um, just kidding. And, uh, you know, and so sometimes I'll be like, okay, you know, so we're sitting down eating spaghetti that some wonderful person from the church made for us. And I remember uh, Jenny was still in the high school group and she's sitting there with us and I'm like, okay, everyone, we're going to go around and eat spaghetti and I want you to tell me about your passions. What's that? You know passion with a b tell me tell me about your passions you know and uh and i want to ask you today do you have a passion for the lord you know do you have a passion for him are you on fire for him are you a glow for him i just want to know his word i want to spend time in the presence of his holiness i want to worship him i can't wait for his return i can't wait for the rapture i can't wait for his kingdom to come and his will to be done i can't wait to, to worship him and to gather together with the saints on a Sunday morning and, and then serve with him throughout the week and gather in home. Like, or Honestly, like if you're just real, you're stinking dry and you're stinking dead in your spiritual life. I think that's what was going on here was Paul looks at these guys and he's like, man, these guys need the Holy Spirit, like the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And and, you know, there was a level of like, I don't even know what, I don't know about the Holy Spirit, you know? Say, okay, well, it helps to have good knowledge so that you can live out the practice of your theology, right? And so they say, we've never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he rightly assumes that they've been baptized because every Christian should be baptized. Says into what then were you baptized? And so they said into John's baptism. And Paul said, that's great. John baptized with water, a baptism of repentance, saying the people on who they should believe, uh, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name or the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there was, I, I will grantedly give this point to kind of maybe this side that there was something in their understanding of with John's baptism that, okay, so uh, John was pointing to Jesus and so we want to be baptized in the name of Jesus now, okay? But also when he asks into what were you baptized, he knows the baptism formula from the Great Commission, which is you baptize in the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We have never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, I'm going to baptize you with kind of this fresh understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, Okay. And while he's baptizes them or um, at the time of baptism, verse six tells us that then he laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And so what we have now is for sure the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so whether or not, were they saved? Weren't they saved? I'm not sure. Well, whatever it was, like they needed like the power of the Holy Spirit and they receive what happened on the day of Pentecost, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Even John Stott says, in other words, they experienced a many Pentecost. Better, Pentecost caught up on them. Better still, they were caught up into it as it's promised blessings became theirs. And so in this case, you guys, they had believed something. We don't know what, maybe they were saying, maybe they weren't. Okay. Then they had not heard about the Holy spirit, but then Paul talks about the Holy spirit kind of clarifies between John's baptism, baptism in Jesus, baptism with the father, son, and the Holy spirit. They get baptized and dunked again in water. So they're water baptized, okay? Then Paul, in a separate kind of action, lays hands on them and spends time, special connection, prays over them, and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and they receive spiritual gifts. In this case, which is often the case, not always the case, but is often the case, they receive the gift of tongues And uh, the gift of um, prophecy. Now, one lesson from this, and you're going to get this lesson as we go through the book of Acts, you've gotten it a few times so far, is that the Holy Spirit is not in a box as far as when he will come upon a believer. We really want to put him in this box, you guys. And I'm telling you, you read the book of Acts and you can't stuff him in it. Okay, what you can stuff them in is it will always be decent. It will always be in order. It will always be in submission to the word of God. Okay, there are certain things that, that the gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit are tethered to. Um, if you've heard me say before that we are um, charismatics here at Calvary Chapel, but we're charismatics with a seatbelt. Okay. That means that we stay tethered down by the Bible. All right. We want to make sure that in our operating with the gifts of the spirit, that we're being biblical in it. Okay. And that we never distract from the main thing, which is Jesus and the message of Jesus. Okay. Um, and so just scanning the book of acts, the Holy spirit can come upon you. And, and you might remember, I think I left my glass illustration, but When you become born again, the water fills you up to the top with the meniscus, you know, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, it's like just continuing to just let the flow bubble up over the glass, reminiscent of what Jesus said on that great day of the feast in John chapter seven, that whoever comes after me out of his heart will flow and bubble uh, torrents, Of living water. It says, This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit who'd not yet been given because he'd not been glorified yet. The Holy Spirit bubbles up out of the life of a Christian. Um, It's part of this baptism with the Holy Spirit, the passion that we like to talk about, right? Now, that could happen at the moment of salvation. That baptism with the Holy Spirit. Could happen. That moment that the meniscus rises to the top and you're sealed. for. Now, it could also be, and also at the same time, I'm going to do it right now. Okay. We see that in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius's home. Peter is preaching to Cornelius's home. Some of the first Gentiles are getting saved. And as Peter is preaching, there's no altar call. There's no laying on of hands. There's no sweet 1980s keyboard playing going on in the background with a bell synth happening. You know, none of that's happening. Peter is just preaching the gospel and hearts out in the crowd are believing it. And while they believe it, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and they start start speaking in tongues and, uh, and prophesying. And then Peter goes, crikey. He says, now that, now that they've received the Holy Spirit like we have, can anyone forbid water, that they should get water baptized? And then they go to the dump tank, okay? So when we get in these boxes of our church tradition where it's like, nope, like you gotta raise your hand and fill out the comment card. And then you gotta go to the six-week class before baptism. And then you, then you got to put on the white robe. Hopefully you wore a appropriate shirt underneath it. You know, you get baptized, you know, and, you know, and, and by the way, when you filled the comment card, I'm pretty sure that's when you got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then you got water you know, and, and it's like the book of Acts just throws it all out the window. Okay. In, uh, in, uh, Acts chapter eight, you see that it was after water baptism that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and received the Holy Spirit. And it was laying with the laying on of the apostles hand. And so sometimes the order is revival, believe, baptize, laying on of hands, prayer for baptism with the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes like in Ephesus, it's believe water baptism, lay hands, baptism of the Holy Spirit manifestation. Like it's just crazy. It's, it's never the same. I challenge you to study the accounts in acts and you'll see that it's not the same. Even John Stott says, whew, right? He says the norm of Christian experience then is a cluster of four things, repentance, faith in Jesus, water baptism, and the gift of the spirit though the perceived order may vary a little, the four belong together and are universal in Christian initiation. And so the order may vary, but the heart of the Lord is that you come to a place where you know who the Holy Spirit is and you have him in and upon your life for great passion in living for him. Okay. Now, Uh, We see that the number of these guys were 12 in all, 12 disciples. Maybe they were men and women. I'm not sure. Uh, Charles Spurgeon speaks towards this great moment when he says, Have ye then received the Spirit since you believed? Beloved, are you now receiving the Holy Spirit? Are you living under his divine influence? Are you filled with his power? Put the question personally. I'm afraid some professors will have to admit that they hardly know whether there be any Holy Ghost. And others will have to confess that though they have enjoyed a little of his saving work, yet they do not know much of his ennobling and sanctifying influence. So I ask you guys, would you just please... Think of Apollos and how Apollos just mighty in knowledge, mighty in learning from Alexandria. We have the biggest library in the world, you know, and just a couple tent makers were like, you know, they have thimbles on there. They just continue to wear thimbles. Can we talk to you about a little bit more about what you might need to know about Jesus? You know, and he just humbly was like, yeah, speak into my life you guys, we aren't going to see much better for the Lord in this community if we're just always like, I, I'm i just good, just getting by. I, I'm just good. I mean, I, there's got to be more than this, but you know what? Like, I'm just good, just skating by. Like, that is not the heart of a Christian. The heart of a Christian is higher up, further in. Take me deeper, Lord, I want more of you, God. More of you, God. Pour yourself out on me. Use me. Fill me. Give us vision. Let us reach this world. You guys, this world does not know Jesus. Half the world's never even been reached with the gospel. And one of the reasons is because I've never even heard that there's a Holy Spirit, the missionary Holy Spirit. Huh? And so if you could be humble enough to be able to say, like Spurgeon, Oh, man, I need more of his ennobling and sanctifying influence. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I don't know. Maybe I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe not. I don't know. And I'm telling you right now, you'll know. You'll know just as much as you know four quarters make a dollar. Charles Spurgeon said, give a man an electric shock, and I warrant you, he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. You'll know that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I, my own testimony, I can tell you the time and the place where I went from status quo, mundane Christianity. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. Bible told me so. Yes, like died on the cross for my sins. I know that. I value that. But, right? And then the Lord baptized me with the Holy Spirit. And he changed me. And he gave me a passion for him. And my heart is that every man in this church be baptized with the Holy Spirit in the power that we're speaking of today, every husband would lead his home in, in this type of power and serve and know his gifts in the church and be useful for edifying this body. And that from that, every wife, every woman, every child would walk in this kind of power. You know, I, I'm so thankful for my son, Russell. There was a time in Russell's life, it was probably he was probably eight years old or seven years old, where somehow he heard about the baptism. I don't know where he would have heard about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Somehow he heard about speaking in tongues. He wanted to know about speaking in tongues. He wanted to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and we just had a great discussion. And and uh, and we just, we went into my room and laid on the bed. And we just um, prayed over him for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, he was one of those kids that grew up evangelizing. Like, he used to just, everyone, when he was at hey do you know Jesus? Hey, do you love Jesus? You know, Hey, are you a saved bus driver? You know, all those sorts of things. And, uh, and man, the, the kid was born endued with power from on high, you know, but he was praying just like, I want more of the Holy spirit in my life. And I want, if the Lord has the gift of tongues for me, I want that. Like, I don't want to be afraid. I want, maybe it's interpretation. And we just spent time just like working through it. And here's a kid that if you know, Russell, praise God, it's the Lord in him but he's a kid that's like baptized with the Holy Spirit and in power. And I desire that for all of our youth and many of our youth are there as well. Here's one last little quote from Spurgeon to just whet the appetite. I believe brethren that whenever the church of God declines, one of the most effectual ways of reviving her is to preach much truth concerning the Holy Spirit. After all, he is the very breath of the church. Where the spirit of God is, is power. If the spirit be withdraw, then the vitality of the godliness begins to decline and we are backsliding. Let us turn to the spirit of God crying, quicken thou me in thy way. If we sorrowfully perceive that any church is growing lukewarm, be it our prayer that the Holy Spirit may work graciously for its revival Let us return to the Lord. Let us seek again to be baptized into the Holy Spirit and into fire. And we shall yet again behold the wonderful works of the Lord. He sets before us an open door. And if we enter not, we ourselves are to be blamed. Man, here you have Charles Spurgeon, self-proclaimed Calvinist, reformed. Man, a man of the book, which is a good man to be. And he's also here saying, Let's be crying out for fresh endowment with the Holy Spirit's power. We need him. You guys, we need him. And as you know, maybe it's just extra passionate for me to preach this because I know some of you well enough to know you need this. Like if you were to be honest and and kind of be a humble disciple like these guys and just say, hey, Pastor Rory, do you think I need more of the Holy Spirit? There's not many of you I'd say you're good right i'd say more let's cry out for more i think the danger is when you're like totally good where i'm at i don't think that's ever where the lord wants us of course we have salvation security and contentment in him but we want that to just thrust us forward and being passionate about him and reaching this world for him. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll go ahead and have the worship team come on up and prepare our hearts to respond to the text today. But let's finish out this little section here. And he went into the synagogues, this is Paul, and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so somehow among this group of 12 plus Apollos plus Aquila and Priscilla, there was such a fervent mix that some say Ephesus became the new missionary hub for the world. This church in Ephesus is going to be so dynamite, so powerful. I believe Chrysostom ends up being a pastor there. John the Revelator will be a, a pastor here in Ephesus. Uh, it'll be um, just a, an, a major missionary hub in the nucleus of, Uh, of the Ephesian church or the nucleus of a missions program there. And so as we go ahead and set our Bibles aside and our things aside, uh, Lord, just let us be like the Apollos that we read of today. (laughs) Uh, Those of us that have a history in you, have knowledge, have experience, Have the library at home. We've got a bookshelf. But Lord, today, we want to be humble enough to hear from you that if there's something missing in our life, Lord, we would let you drop into us, Lord. Add to us. But Lord, maybe we are like the, the 12 that Oh maybe we've got all the check marks that what it looks like to be a Christian but maybe we're we're not actually Christians maybe that's the case or maybe we are Christians and we're just lacking that extra power you know lord we just lay aside like our confusion and exactly what's happening here and and we just pick up though the the application that we need the holy spirit and we don't want anyone to look at our life and say that we're lacking. We want to be overflowing in spirit. We want to be what Romans 12, 11 says, not only unhypocritical in our love, sincere in our love for one another, but also fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. And I just hope, church, that you can be humble enough To just come before the Lord and say there's a gap between what I read in the Bible and what I see in my life. I want more Christian living to just be displayed in my hands and my feet and my heart and my mouth and my mind and my brain. I want more missional living. I want more Charismatic, gifted living, so that I could edify the church and know my spot in this body, I hope that we are a humble enough church to pray that out today, that even if you're maybe visiting and you're like, like oh i've heard this message before I can't believe he taught it that way, doesn't he know that they weren't believers and I understand. I understand the tension here. I understand that that position. And I'm willing to step away from it and just understand like they needed more. That we could all today say, Lord, we need more. More of you. More Holy Spirit. Baptize us afresh today, Lord. We don't need the goosebumps. We don't need the hairs standing on end. We don't need the ecstatic and the dramatic. The lack of self control rolling around on the ground and all those things that have been falsely attributed to the charismatic. We need more of you, Lord. More of your presence. More of your power. More boldness to share the gospel. Manifestation of gifts that when we are functioning in them, this church is rocking. And so today I would invite you, church, we're gonna sing a song about the spirit of Jesus living within us. Fire rising in our soul. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Pictures in the New Testament of spirit coming are of cloven tongues of fire upon the early church's heads as a representation of his presence. Let's pray for the fire of the person of the Holy Spirit to be upon us. And if that's you, I invite you to stand up today during this last song as a response to the Bible and to just say, Lord, I don't want anything lacking I want to be filled, overflowing with the torrents of the Holy Spirit. I think we need him all the more as we go into this season that is full of so much wonderful joy and reflection and concentrated focus on Jesus, but it also can be a time of just such great heartache and wounds that just fester and our appear and broken hearts and pain and lost people needing a savior we need the Holy Spirit this Christmas season and if you know your need for him today I just invite you to stand with me and ask for more of him during this last song go ahead Adam